we're still on the subject of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit, whether we want to recognize it or not, He's in control. Understand that. He's in control. The Holy Spirit is. And oftentimes, that's a hard one to figure out. If the Holy Spirit is in control, or if I'm doing it, or if he's doing it. And let me share it with something with you. Most of the time, you won't know he's doing it until you're in the midst of it or at the end of it. Because when you look back at it, you'll be able to say, that definitely wasn't me. <laughs> you'll be able to say, I didn't know what to do. And the only thing you can say, it was God involved. God, the Holy Spirit, doing something. In our lives, oftentimes, we'll say, well, God gave me this mind. And right, he did. He gave you a mind to discern him. He gave you a mind to know him. He gave you a mind that you will seek after his will and his desire. But that is something that has to be learned and something that we are taught while we're walking with the Lord. And the Holy Spirit controls that. It just doesn't happen automatically. The gifts are revealed by the manifestation of the Holy Spirit. The gifts are revealed by the manifestation of the Holy Spirit, or as he chooses to show them off, as he chooses to reveal them. And only as the Spirit wills to allow that gift to operate in you at his will, at his desire, and in the situation he wants you to be in, does he show it? Does he reveal it? The main thing that Scripture tells us is not to lean on our own what? And guess what's the first thing we do? We lean on our own understanding. We lean on our own experiences. We lean on our own how to survive rather than learning to trust him. And the whole issue in this spiritual process is to learn how to trust the Holy Spirit. To learn his voice. To learn him speaking to us when we're in the word and when we're away from the word. That he speaks to us. And that he's willing to guide us. Now, turn with me to 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 7. Because the Holy Spirit, he's there to minister to us. So in verse 7, he simply said, Now in each one, the manifestation or the revealing or the showing or the exhibition of that gift is done by the power of the Holy Spirit. The manifestation of the Spirit is given 
for the common good. Now, what's the purpose of the Holy Spirit empowering the believer? For the common good of the body of Christ. For the common good of the church. It is not for self. But it is for the common good of the church, which is also called the body of Christ. It is for that body to be built up. It's for that body to be able to serve one another. And we need to understand, we build each other. We build each other. We build each other. We strengthen each other. We empower each other. We encourage each other. Now, the thing that people don't like is exactly what he says way back in Genesis. I am my brother's keeper. If I see my brother in a fault, what should I do? If I see my brother speaking wrongly, what should I do? But if I see my brother acting outside of biblical principles, I should love him enough to what? Share it. I can't make him correct himself. I can't make him do, but I can share it. And that's why Scripture says, if you see your brother in a fault, go to them. Why? That's my responsibility. That's our responsibility. Now when you go down to verse 11, he says, all these are the works of one and the same. All the works of the Christian is the work of the Holy Spirit in each and every one of us. And the thing that we have to understand is simply this. We're all on different levels or planes. We're all on different levels and planes. And in that, all of us are able to teach. The baby can teach an an adult. An adult can also teach a baby. Oftentimes where we make the biggest mistake is this. We take the word maturity and we use it as age. Not understanding that a child can speak wisdom and discernment from the Holy Spirit to an adult if we have our ears open to hear. Spiritual maturity doesn't come by age. Spiritual maturity comes by being in God's word, hearing from the spirit of God, serving in the body of Christ that you mature and you experience the things of God. And as you experience the things of God, when God asks you to step out on the water, it's not very difficult. Why? The security that you have in him. And he says, all these are the spirit of one and the same spirit. That same spirit is working in all of us. 
and He gives them to each one just as He determines. As He determines. The gift that is given to you as a Christian is something you have to discover. Now the world just calls it talent. And yes, we all have talent. But when does a gift of the Holy Spirit come into play? When it goes beyond your talent and beyond your ability and beyond your awareness that it's even really taking place. That the Holy Spirit is doing something that is far beyond what you could even imagine. That he's working. He's doing something. In the medical field, the doctor knows when it's not him. The doctor will say such things. You really recovered quickly, and I can't tell you why that happened, because normally it's this. Boy, we're all up in Cleveland waiting for Debbie to go to surgery, to rush her into surgery and so forth. And, and, and they had seen this thing before, and there's about maybe four or five of us up there, and we're waiting for Debbie to go in to, for her surgery and to come out. Here comes Debbie walking out. What was ever there, they can't see it now. That's the Lord. That's the Lord. The whole process is God stepping into your life and using you in such a way that you become a living testimony on his behalf. That you become, because see, you can't make yourself a living testimony for God. But God works in your life in such a manner, in such a way, that you become a living testimony for him. No matter what you're doing, God is able to take it up a notch. And you need to discover what is your joy, what is the passion, what is the thing you enjoy doing. Maybe it's just baking a cake and taking it to the neighbor. That might be your gift. Of just edifying others, encouraging others, building up others, giving others hope. And it may be your gift just to show friendliness towards others. Because today we live in a world where people are really dying to have a true friend. Somebody who really cares for them. Somebody who really cares for them. And that gift is exercised when the Holy Spirit really becomes involved. And you'll recognize it also, either in the very midst of it or at the end of it, and you'll ask yourself, why? Why did I do that? And what you'll discover that what you did took more than what your basic knowledge and intellect could allow you to perform or do. 
It's all by his power. And that's one of the areas that Christianity we've lost out on. His power. And especially in the church. Because in the church we look at the budget and that's our power. Rather than looking at him. And he's our source. He's our power. Not our budget. Not what we can do. But what he can do through us becomes our power and our strength. Now, the Holy Spirit, by his sovereignty, decides upon the gifts which we have need of for any given situation or ministry in which he assigns us to. That if you're assigned to do this, this, or that, the Holy Spirit's job then is to equip you. He assigns to you the gifts that are needed for the situation in which he puts you into. He prepares you for that. And he gives you the gifts that are needed or the abilities that are needed to be able to glorify Jesus in that situation or in that ministry. He gives it to you according to what his will is. Because sometimes you'll step into situations and understand that you won't know what you need. You think you know what you will need. But somehow God then steps in and provides those things that you have need of, even in the intellectual realm, even in the assurance, boy, my God is working. My God is working. And he's demonstrating his work through you, through the gifts of the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, if we decide to work or live under the obedience of the Holy Spirit, he then will provide the gifts, the ability, the power that is necessary for you and I to perform whatever he assigns to us. Now, the very first statement in, in this statement is this. If we, see, every one of us have to make a decision, will I serve the Lord? It's not based on how you feel. It's not based on if you have perfect health. It's not based on if you are the most intellectual person. It's not based on your education. It's not based on your physical strength. It's based on one thing. Are you willing? Are you willing? Are you willing to be used by the Holy Spirit to bless the body of Christ and to bless others outside the body? Are you willing 
to serve in such a way that Christ is truly glorified? Are you willing to die to yourself and really ask, Lord, what would you have me to do? Are you willing? Turn with me to 1 Thessalonians 5.19. 1 Thessalonians 5.19. One of the ways in which we are not used is because of what we do. And it stops the Holy Spirit. Well, some will say, well, you can't stop him. He's going to do whatever he wants to do. Let me make this point to you. God didn't give you free will to force you to do what he wants you to do. God gave you free will that you might surrender it to him. Now, does that mean God doesn't do what he plans on doing? God's going to do what he's going to do. Because God understands this. Because you didn't do it in the beginning part of service, that not mean you won't do it at the end part of service. <laughs> because you say no right now, doesn't mean I won't come and use her. See, we don't stop God's program because of our protest or our don't want to do or to perform on his behalf. We don't stop God's program. God continues to work his program. And what we miss out on is this. It's a privilege to be a co-worker with the Lord. It's a privilege to be a co-worker with the Lord. So in 1 Thessalonians 5.19, he says, Do not put out the Spirit's fire. Don't put out the excitement of seeing the Spirit work in your life. Don't put out this, the fire of God using you and directing you and performing in you and through you. Don't put that fire out. How might we put it out? I want you to go over and see so-and-so. Lord, I didn't work 12-hour day today. And Lord, I know I'm tired. Yeah, God knows that. But God also knows you're his servant. I want you to go over. God, you know I can't do that. Only thing God is asking you to do is put your hands to it. I'll give you the ability to perform it and do it. You just got to put your hand now on the plow and don't look back. And let God give you the power and the strength to perform it. God, you know I'm not smart enough. God didn't call you because of your intellect. He called you because of your willingness to serve him. And willingness to surrender to him. 
And if you surrender, and you will, he'll sit you at tables with people far more intellectual than you are, and you'll be able to converse with them and talk with them. All by the power of the Holy Spirit. He says, don't put that fire out. Let that fire grow in you. That's a desire to serve the Lord. And the fire burns out all that infirmity in you that would stop you. The fire burns out all your excuses. The fire purifies you and cleanses you for the work. Don't put that fire out. Let that desire be in you even when you don't feel like it. You go. You do. And see what God does. Ephesians 4.30. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse... Oh, I missed that one. Where are we now? And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Do people sometimes grieve you? Do people sometimes hurt you? Do people sometimes say things to you that just pierce? In 50-some years of marriage, I've said things to Elaine that just, boy, I shouldn't have never said. She said things to me sometimes that, boy, Elaine, forgive me. Gus, forgive me. Why? It grieves, it, it dampers our ability to love each other and move forward. And sometime I need to say to the Holy Spirit, forgive me for grieving you. Forgive me for hurting you. Forgive me for not being obedient to you. Forgive me for not listening to you. Forgive me for not taking you serious. Forgive me for not trusting that you are more than enough, that you're more than able to take me through this, which you're asking me to do. Don't grieve him through disobedience. Don't grieve him through your lack of doing and performing for the glory of Christ. Don't grieve him because you don't think you're worthy of such a task that he's put before you. Don't grieve him, hurt him, deny him because how you see yourself. But know that he's more than able. You don't grieve him. False confidence. Go to Philippians 3. And and, and Paul challenges these individuals because, see, if I'm going to use the gifts of the Holy Spirit, and, and, and I believe that the gifts are far more than what's just listed to us in Romans 12 and Corinthians 12. Much more. 
but it gives us enough to get started, to bite our teeth on. But the whole thing is that the Holy Spirit is the one who gives those gifts, who empowers us to use those gifts. So in 3, starting with verse 3, Philippians 3, starting with verse 3, for it is we who are the circumcision, we who worship by the Spirit of God, who glory in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence, whereat in the flesh. I don't put confidence in myself to take care of myself. The Lord tells me, look at the lilies of the fields, to look at the birds. Who takes care of them? Aren't you more important than the flowers in the field and the birds in the air? Aren't you more valuable to Him than those things? And He says, I don't put any confidence in the flesh. Now understand this. For a number of years, you were taught by the world, you got to take care of who? And we bring that then into our Christianity. Nobody else is going to take care of me. I have to take care of me. Now I want you to think of a father's responsibility. And a lot of fathers have advocated their responsibility to their children. That child coming into this world didn't ask to come. Wouldn't it be something if a child could pick his parents before they came? A lot of us would never have children. But that father has a responsibility of taking care of that child. To educate. To feed. To shelter. If an earthly father has that responsibility, what kind of responsibility do our heavenly father have? Shouldn't it be much greater than our earthly fathers? And God takes his responsibility of each one of his children very personal. That's why it's a personal relationship. Because he deals with each one of us individually. And he loves each one of us individually. And there's no prejudice in his love that he loves one greater than the other. But he knows which ones he can really use. He knows which ones he can really trust with these riches. He knows which ones really have a heart after him. He knows. But yet... He takes care of every one of his children. And David said, I've never seen the righteous forsaken or begging for bread. Why? That's not man's doing. That's God's work. That's God's work. Yeah, you may not have the steak. You may not have this or that. You may not have what you may really want. But God has taken care of the necessary things that you need in life. Why? You're his child. You're his child. 
and he will not advocate his responsibility to you. So in Philippians 3, boy, as, as, as Paul is saying there, boy, I have no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reason for such confidence, Paul says. Now he's going to put up his life against some others. And he says, if anyone else thinks he has reason to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. I have more. I have good reasons behind me to put confidence in my flesh. And he says, circumcised on the eighth day. Wasn't that the law? I was circumcised eight day, keeping with the law. Of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, that's my tribe that I come from. A Hebrew of Hebrews. I outshine any Hebrew. I'm better than any Hebrew. And Paul goes on. And he says, in regarding to the law of Pharisee, how many of you could put your hands up and say that you are a Pharisee, a keeper of the law? See, I did all this on my own. These were things done in the flesh. As for zeal, persecuting the church. I persecuted the church with the thought of protecting my previous religion. I went after the church. I was zealous after I was tearing it up. I was hanging foes, putting people in prison, killing people, all because of my religion. How many of you have done that? How many of you have been zealous? And we're doing it of the flesh. And he goes on. And he says, as for legalistic righteousness, faultless. Look how Paul saw himself. I was faultless. I was blameless. Nobody could put a finger on me and charge me with anything. And Paul says, I have more confidence in the flesh than any of you. But look what he says in verse 7. But whatever was to my profit, I now consider it, what? Loss for the sake of Christ. Whatever it was to my profit, I consider it loss. Now, good little time to bring something up. Always remember this. Christians are growing. And Christians are not perfect. 
And every time news have a chance to slander Christianity or take one of our mistakes or our failures and really highlight it, they'll do it. So the young lady at a Christian school who some of the students were calling ugly and they cut off her hair or her braids because they didn't think it was right for her to have those braids and so forth. They were wrong. That doesn't mean they don't know the Lord. It means they still have some what? Growing to do. And they demonstrated how much growing yet they have to do. And the school itself has to realize we have some teaching to do. Not just on this one side, but also on this other side of Christianity. That whoever comes to our school is seen as someone precious to the Lord Jesus Christ. And Christianity has started some wars that should have never been. We don't have clean hands. We have some bloody hands over a lot of the wrongness that we've done down through history. But what it demonstrates is this. The church was in a growing stage, and we still are. We still are. If you're living and growing, recognize this. You're going to make mistakes. (laughs) You're going to have failures. The key is this. Don't keep making the same mistake. Don't keep living in the same failures. Recognize them. Know them. And find another way through Jesus Christ. Now, If you put your trust in yourself, you will not see the Spirit working in your life. He's not going to fight you over the issue of who has power in your life to do this, this, or that. It's when you surrender and say, work through me that Christ might be glorified. He works. Lord, work through my mind that I might have that mind of Christ. That I might think like Christ. That I might reason like Christ. Give me that mind of Christ and only one person can give it to you. And that's the Holy Spirit as he works in your life. He develops your thinking through the word of God. For as a man thinketh, so is he, or so shall he do. But that's coming through the Word of God. Who is the author of the Word of God? The Spirit of God. And he writes it on your heart. He writes it on your mind. That whenever you have this struggle appear, that the Scripture is right there, that the Holy Spirit is there speaking also. And what you have to do now is decide which one you shall follow. If you put your trust in yourself, you will not see the Spirit working in your life. The manifestations of the Holy Spirit, 
the Holy Spirit showing up in your life. Confidence in the Spirit is where you want to get to. Where that you're leaning upon the Spirit of God to perform and to do in your life. And you're able to say, Lord, work in me. Glorify yourself in me. Order my steps, O Lord, in thee. And that's the place where you have to get to. That's the place we have to get to. That we're crying out that the Spirit of God will order our steps. And we're not leaning on our own understanding. We're not leaning on our own experiences in life. And oftentimes that's where we fail at. Is that we're experiencing life. Yes. But you're not trusting in your experiences. You're trusting in the Lord. Your experiences won't be my experiences. My experience will not be your experiences. But oftentimes when we talk to people and want to give them advice, guess what's one of the main things we give them? Our experiences. Our own personal experiences. They may be similar. But the best thing you can give a person is not your experience, but the Word of God. Why? Your experience has no lasting value. The Word of God has a lasting value. And is able to hold them and keep them. To guide them, direct them. To remove the confusion out of their minds. In Titus 2.14, he simply says, Who gave himself for us, Jesus, to redeem us from all wickedness. What did he redeem us from? All wickedness. Now the Holy Spirit is rescuing us from the wickedness of this world. It's the Holy Spirit that Thessalonians said is holding back the realms of the enemy. It's the Holy Spirit that is teaching you how to walk godly. It is the Holy Spirit that is bringing you and rescuing you from the wickedness of this world. And a lot of us just like to jump back into wickedness because that's all we know. We don't know anything else. That's our experience in life. That's how we live life. But it's when you begin to trust God and trust God and believe he has a plan for your life that is far better than what you can plan for yourself. Now it becomes a leaning on the Spirit of God to do something. And he says he redeems us from all wickedness and to purify for himself. Well, who's doing that purifying? You're not. But the Holy Spirit in you is purifying you. Is correcting your life as he teaches you the word of God. He's cleansing you through the word of God. Purify for himself a people that are his very, what? His very own. He'll never disown you. You are his. Now, look at what follows. And this is when you can tell when a person has really surrendered to the Lord. Eager to do what is good. 
eager to do what is good. When God has worked in your life through the power of the Holy Spirit, there becomes an eagerness to do what is right. There becomes an eagerness to do what is good, even when it doesn't benefit me. But it's the right thing to do. It's the good thing to do. Over to Ephesians 2.10. Why? Hang on to that word good for a moment. Ephesians 2.10. Look what he says. He says, For we are God's workmanship. What does that mean? God's working in me. God's developing me. God's building me. God is doing something in each and every one of our lives through the power of the Holy Spirit. God is working. And he goes on, he says, For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus. We are a new creation. We're not the old. God can't use anything of your old life to glorify him. That's why he says, consider yourself dead. Because there's nothing that you can bring from that old life into the new life that will glorify God. And he says he's created you a new creature. And he moves on, he says, created in Christ Jesus to do what? Good works. You've been created to do good works. Well, who orchestrates that? The Holy Spirit, not the flesh. The Holy Spirit. Now, true, the Holy Spirit is not mentioned here. But once you understand the position and the working of the Holy Spirit in your life, you put it together. It is He who is working in me to do the will of God. Because me on my own would never desire to do the will of God. To do what is right. It takes the power of the Holy Spirit to overcome this flesh. That I might perform for the glory of God. It takes his power, not mine, to perform good works. Now, go to Romans 7, 21. Look at the challenge that comes before us. Romans 7, verse 21. Hang on just a little bit. We won't be late for lunch. Look what Paul says. Now, you ask yourself this question. Is this true in your life? So I find this law at work. When I want to do good, evil is right there with me. When I want to do good, when I want to do the right thing, evil is right there with me saying come on let's go this way come on let's do it this way it won't, it won't be as hard come on let's go this way you're going to gain more knowledge you're going to gain more you're going to profit more come on let's go this way I've never seen a woman cheating on her husband to make the husband love her more or want her more I've never seen that by a man Cheating on his wife that's going to cause the wife to want him, what? More. 
But he says, every time I desire to do good, this is my problem. Evil is right there. You in and of yourself, we cannot overcome the evil thoughts that we have without the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, go back to 1 Corinthians 12. One. Look what the Lord would not have you to be. And why he makes this clear about the gifts and who gives them and who's in control of them and where that power comes from to exercise them. And this, sadly, is the truth about the church today. Too many people have put their Bibles down and won't believe their Bible. They'll believe some preacher over everything he said. In America, you can preach prosperity. Why? Because if you're a hard worker, you can experience prosperity. But if I put you in Haiti, I put you in Colombia, I put you in some other places, the only way you may experience prosperity is if God just dumps it in your lap. Prosperity can fly in America. It don't fly outside of America. It doesn't work outside of America. Now, look what he says. Pay close attention to it now. Really grasp this. Because this is where most of the church is at today. Now about spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be ignorant. The reason we're ignorant of spiritual gifts is because we are ignorant of the one who is in control of the gifts. And somehow in America, we have taken on the legitimacy that I have to do this Christianity on my own. I have to change my life. So I have to stop doing this. And I have to stop doing that. And I have to stop going there. And I have to stop this. And I have to stop that. Well, if that is the real belief, it is really you who is doing the transforming, not God. Now, there's a difference that says, because I understand what Christ has paid for my sin, and because I have a love for him, I won't do this any longer. There's a difference when I recognize the love I have for him because he says, if you love me, you will keep my what? Yes. When I really understand that I love him and what he's done on my behalf, that's what causes the change, not me. But it is a reaction to understanding what the scriptures have said what he has done for me, and he says, do this in remembrance of me, so we are constantly being reminded of what Jesus has done on our behalf in bringing us out of darkness into this marvelous light. We are then able to understand why Christ teaches us his living word, that we will not stumble, but we have a light. And his word is a light unto our path that we won't stumble. His word becomes instilled in us. 
that says, don't go there. Don't do that. Don't allow yourself to be fooled or tricked. It becomes his word. He says, don't be ignorant. Don't be ignorant. And understand this. God would not have you to be an ignorant Christian. Go beyond what Pastor Brown can teach you. Allow the Holy Spirit to teach you. Get into his word. Dig in there for yourself. Study to show yourself approved, a workman rightly dividing the word of God. The Holy Spirit can take you much further than Pastor Brown. The Holy Spirit can take you much further than Melvin Gaines. The Holy Spirit can take you much further than any elder, deacon, or anyone else. I don't care what's before their name. The Holy Spirit, if you get to know him and you get into the word that he is offered, He will take you further and give you more understanding than any human being is able to do. But you're the one that has to work at it. You're the one. Let me hit these three things and we're done. Reluctance. A large portion of the church is reluctant. There's a lack of enthusiasm. The Lord doesn't excite us. The learning of the Lord doesn't excite us. Used to be a time, boy, people fled the church to learn of the Lord. Now we just turn on TV. Now we get our daily bread and nothing wrong with those things. But the reluctancy comes in that it's so easy for Satan to say, you don't need to go tonight. Why is the church one of the most expensive facilities that is built, but the least that is used? There should be Bible studies going on here every night, Monday through Saturday. Bible study, teaching. Because my people fail for lack of knowledge. And the issue is to get the knowledge to them. How enthused are you about learning the things of the Lord? Secondly, unwilling. The church again. We're unwilling to sacrifice to learn. But we'll pay some university $80,000, $140,000 to dump into me what I believe is an education that will allow me to go out and prosper in this world. If you are educated by the Holy Spirit, you'd be surprised what platforms he may put you on. But we're unwilling to invest in church as we are in secular things. Church is more like a duty. I go to church on Sunday, I've done my duty for the week. How many of you would graduate and how long would it take if you went to Aquinew one day a week? Thirdly, you don't like the opposition. 
The opposition is the resistance. I'm sitting in my chair. I'm watching my favorite program. I got my feet up. I got my Coke or Pepsi or I got this or that in. I got my potato chips over here. You want me to stop doing that to go to a Bible study? I'm able to lean back in my chair. Opposition. I have to fight against that. The flesh says, this is what I want to do. The flesh says, I want to enjoy this time. The flesh says this and that. That's the opposition that you have then when it comes to learning of the things of the Lord. And guess what? Satan gives us some good excuses. Some great excuses. But they don't fly before God. It's something that gets in the way from us learning of the things of God and what the Holy Spirit wants to teach us. And how he wants to use us. Father, we thank you and praise you for your word. And we want to thank you, Lord, for the gift of the Holy Spirit. We want to thank you of that unspeakable gift, which is Jesus Christ. And the second gift is the gift of the Holy Spirit. Because, Lord, we could not survive without the Holy Spirit. We cannot live this Christian life without the Holy Spirit. We couldn't run this race that is set before us without the strength and the empowerment and the endurance of your Holy Spirit. And Lord, we would not know how to give hospitality if it was not of your Holy Spirit. We would not know how to be an encourager except that we are led by your Holy Spirit. We would not know how to use discernment and wisdom and knowledge correctly if it were not of your Holy Spirit. We would not know how to exercise our faith in thee if it were not of your Holy Spirit. Lord, we need him. We need him. We need him to live and move in us. We need him, Lord. We need him to reveal himself in our lives. Lord, would you work in each one of us Would you bring us to a point that we can say, like Paul, that I've been crucified? No longer is it I that liveth, but Christ liveth in me. And that only takes place through the power of the Holy Spirit that Christ really does live in us, that we can be like him. Lord, would you speak to each heart? Would you touch each life?
Would you minister to every individual in this place today? It's not going home talking about, I heard this, I heard that. James says, don't be a hearer of the word, but be a doer of the word. Would you help us by the power of your Holy Spirit to become a real participant and an active doing in the body of Christ? Would you minister to us, Lord? Speak to us, Lord. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.